In Village, we believe that God reveals himself primarily through scripture, and so the Bible shapes and guides everything we do here. So let's hear the Lord speak just this morning from Matthew 7, 12 to 14. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. This is the word of the Lord. One thing I uh, forgot to mention, but I definitely should have mentioned, is uh, we're getting ready to do our first baptism as a church ever, which is great. Um, yes, thank you. Uh, if, if you don't, maybe you don't know what baptism is, or maybe you've never heard of it, or maybe you've heard of it, or you have questions, come and see me. If, or if you've been a Christian for a while and you want to get baptized, then, then let me know. That's a step that we take in obedience to Jesus, and it's a, uh, it's a public way of saying, I am now Christ and he is now mine and it represents being, being buried, uh, our old self being buried uh, in his likeness and being raised to walk in newness of life. So if you want to get involved in that, then, then please let me know. Um, so for you visitors, we've been uh, in the Sermon of the Mount since, gosh, before Easter. We've been in the Sermon of the Mount for a long time. Um, if you're a regular, if this is your church, then you'd be glad to know that after today, we've only two weeks left. So... We've, we're almost there. The end is near. Um, I, for me, the Sermon on the Mount has been a really significant, uh, a really significant thing to study. Uh, and one of the main themes that we've seen running through this Sermon on the Mount, and you're maybe sick to death of me talking about it, but it's what Jesus talks about, is this idea of greater righteousness. That is, this, this way of living that, that we as Christians need to have, which is not based on what we do and what's on the outside, but it's, but it's a life based on transformed hearts, right? So everything we do is motivated by the transformation that we is, is, is what the, the transformed life looks like. It's life in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's life transformed by the gospel. But... One of the dangers, I think, you'll have to excuse me, I've had a sore throat and it's still sore, so pray that goes away. Um, one of the dangers, I think, of reading the Sermon on the Mount, um, I guess when we come to it with our sinful minds, right, and our selfish hearts and all that kind of stuff, is that we, we want to pick and choose, don't we? We want to pick out the bits that, that sound nice and sound, maybe sound easy, the bits that suit our personalities, the bits that suit the way we live our lives, and then we want to forget about the rest. So... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we, we saw Jesus says, you know, don't, don't judge, lest you be judged. And we love that. We love, oh, well, that's a good piece of advice, isn't it? Like, I, don't, I won't judge people because, you know, I don't want to be judged. And so we can take that bit on board. But what about when Jesus says something a bit harder, like, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. We say, oh, Jesus, come on, hang on. That's too far, you know, like, that's... That's too hard. That's too, it's too much. You're, you're asking too much of me. You're, you're going way too deep into my life. And so we end up picking out the bits that we, we want to obey and kind of maybe gloss over or ignore the rest, right? So, you know, Christmas, when you get a tin of roses, that, for an American, roses are not roses, they're sweets. They're like, it's chocolates, big tins, and they come in big tins. So everybody picks out, you know, by, by about three o'clock on Christmas afternoon, Everybody's falling asleep. Everyone's picked out all the golden barrels, the favorite ones. The, tr the what? That's Quality Street. Oh, Quality Street, yeah, yeah. But 
the, what about the, the hazelnut caramels? You know, they're really good. Um, and then all you've got left at the end of the day is the orange creams that nobody likes unless they're weird. And there's always like a couple of them kicking around your house until like Easter. <laughs> nobody eats the bounties in celebration either, but the joke's on them because I actually love the bounties. They're my favorite. But we do this, we do this, with, we do this with the Sermon on the Mount. We do this uh, as we read Scripture. We do this, we hear Jesus teaching us and speaking to us. We, we, we pick the bits that we like and just leave the bits that we don't like. And nowhere does that probably happen more than it does in the Sermon on the Mount. And nowhere does it happen more in the Sermon on the Mount than it does in the passage that Rebecca just read for us. Jesus uses this phrase that, it's, it's a famous phrase. It's become famous across the whole world. And so you might have heard of it called the, the Golden Rule, Right? The golden rule. And Jesus says, whatever you wish that, that others would do to you, do to them. Do also for them. And it's, that's easy, right? Who, who wouldn't like that teaching? Who doesn't, who doesn't agree that you know, treating other people the way you want to be treated is a good thing? That's a good way to live. It makes sense for humanity. It makes, it makes sense for me to say, well, I'm going to be kind to other people uh, because I want them to be kind to me. I'm, I'm going to forgive people because I want them to forgive me. And I think, honestly, you'd probably be hard pushed to find somebody that would disagree with that. But here's the problem. That's not the only thing that Jesus said, is it? This isn't just a, 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 a what about the verses after that? Because almost in the same breath as Jesus says one of the most popular phrases in the world, he says one of the most unpopular phrases in the world. He gives us this really popular teaching and in the second hand he, he says, by the way, outside of me, there's only death. There's only destruction. I'm the only way to life. And that's where we say, whoa, 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 hold on Jesus. But I like what you're saying about treating other people as I want to be treated, but hmm, I'm not sure if I can follow you all the way. But the problem is, Nobody wants to talk like that, do they? Nobody outside of the church, at least, wants to talk about those things that Jesus is the only way to, to, to life. So you go, well, I'll take a portion of uh, love your neighbor as yourself, but all that repent and believe the gospel stuff, nah, that's not for me. And I wonder, do you know anybody that Christ, but I just don't really like, I just don't really like Christianity. I'm sure you've all met people like this. I've, I've spoken about this before. I have a friend who's a Christian atheist, and he'll say something like, I mean, if he was here right now, he'd say, well, I love Christ, love the teaching of Christ, but he wasn't God and there is no God. I mean, and, and for, for me, that, that doesn't make sense. And here's why. Because we just sung it. Because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Right? He is Lord of all. We see this over and over and over again in Scripture. The whole Bible is about this one fact, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Revelation 19, right, paints this picture of, of, of Jesus. And it gives him this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And if he is Lord of all, then you can't pick and choose which bits of him you want and which bits you don't want, right? If, if you reject that Jesus is Lord of all, then none of his teaching is relevant to you. Because if he is Lord of all, then he can't be Lord of part of your life and, and not Lord of other part. Either, either everything he said is rubbish or it's all completely true. And if you can't accept that Jesus teaching that he's the only way to salvation, he's the only path to salvation, he's the only way, path to life as he talks about, then, uh, then you can't accept when he says treat other people as you want to be treated. It doesn't make sense. And so the challenge for us right at the outset this morning is this. Do we pick and choose which parts of Jesus' teaching 
we want to apply to our lives? Do we pick and choose? And that boils down to this one question. Is Jesus Lord of all for you? Is he Lord of all? Even later on in the Gospels, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? It doesn't make sense to not do what he says if he is Lord. And so Jesus, at this point in the sermon, he's come to the end of his sermon. And I, I mean, I don't know how long he's been up on this hill with his disciples and the crowd all around him. And I don't know how long he's been up there, but we can assume it's been a while. Um, we see in other places where he needs to, he, he's teaching so long that he actually has to uh, organize getting food for everyone. He's been there for a while. Uh, but he's come to the end of this, this sermon. And, and, and with any good sermon uh, that you guys are obviously accustomed to, uh, there's... Uh, there's um, There's a challenge at the end, right? There's a call to a new way of life. And this is what Jesus does. He's coming to the end of his sermon. And he issues this challenge. And what I want us to look at is this this question today is, what is Jesus calling us to in the Sermon on the Mount? What is he calling you to? And over the next, this week and the next two weeks, that's the question to keep in the back of your mind. What is Jesus calling me to? And we look at these, uh, look at this text. We're going to see three things. We're going to see a, a conclusion. Uh, let, let, me, let me pray for us and ask for God's help before we get into these verses. Father, uh, we need your help when we open your word. Um, we, we get distracted, we're tired, we're sinful, and we try to read our own meaning into what you're sending us. Be clear with us, Lord. We need your help. We're just your children and we need your guidance. Uh, in your mercy, by your spirit, uh, just enlighten your word to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, what's, uh, what's some of the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, I'm sure we all have like key pieces of life advice that we've been given over the years. So uh, one of mine is, uh, someone said to me years and years ago, is like, in marriage, always be the first person to say sorry. Be the first one to say sorry. And uh, obviously, he'll tell you that's always true. I always do that. Um, that's a good piece of advice. Um, other, other we, we love these one-liner pieces, pieces of advice, right? So uh, somebody said, like, uh, keep smiling until you lose all uh, one of my favorites, don't eat yellow snow. That's always good advice, right? That's just, that's just good sense. Um, and I think that what's happened with Jesus' teaching here is that people have taken it and, and have just made it a pithy one-liner a piece of advice because life is complicated, isn't it? Life is hard. You've got all these balls that you're juggling. You've got kids to look after. You've got school runs to do. You've got money coming in and money going out. You've got people getting sick. You've got weddings to go to. You've got all these things. Life is complicated. You've got all these decisions. What, am I, what school am I going to go to? What job am I going to get? All these different things that we think about. How am I going to run my business? And life is complicated, and we want to boil it down to this one-liner, don't we? But the problem is, uh, even though it's a really famous phrase, you've probably heard it, and most of the other world religions have this phrase in a negative form. They have this advice in a negative form. Right? What do I mean by that? It means, uh, it would be like saying, don't do anything to anyone else that you wouldn't want done to yourself, okay? So, well, I don't want to get beat up, so I'm not going to beat people up. Or, I don't want to get robbed, so I'm not going to rob. Or, I don't want to get cheated on, so I'm not going to cheat other people, right? I don't want to be left with just the orange creams at the end, so I'm not going to leave them for other people. But when we say in this negative way, the, the don't do to others way, it may not, right? So, I mean, if I don't want to do bad to people, all I have to do is not see people. I can withdraw from people, I can not engage with people, and I won't do them any harm. Job done. Just avoid people. But this isn't what Jesus says. 
Jesus says it in a positive way. He says, however you want to be treated, that's how you should treat other people. So do you want to be loved? Go and love. Do you want to be treated fairly? Treat people fairly. Do you want people to be generous to you? Then be generous. Do you want your husband or wife to be thoughtful? Then be a thoughtful husband or wife. Do you want your co-workers and friends to respect you? Then, then respect them. Take the first step. This is how the kingdom of God works. You see, it's a lot easier to not treat people badly than it is to treat people well, right? It's easy to not treat people bad, badly. But it's much harder to treat people well, to take the first step. But this is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to this higher standard. We've seen this all the way throughout the Sermon on the Mount. A higher standard. So the law says, don't murder anyone. Well, I can just not murder, murder anyone and say, didn't murder anyone today, good job. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, that's what the law says. But I'm saying, if you are unjustly angry with anyone, you've already murdered them in your heart. You've already written them off. Jesus always calls us to this higher standard. What we actively do. It's not just about not doing any bad. It's about actively doing good. And so I wonder, is this what your life is like? Do you, do you live this way? Do you, do you go out of your way to take the first step to, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you? It's a practical thing. Jesus tells us to, to pray, Lord, your kingdom come on earth it is in heaven. But let me tell you, we shouldn't be prepared to pray that if we're not prepared to live it. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. Why? Why, why, why is Jesus saying this? Why should we live this way? What's our motivation? Remember, the sermon is always about what's underneath. Well, I think that a lot of people take this saying of Jesus and they, they, they just pick it up and they run with it, right? Um, and they, they go, well, I, I'm going to, hmm, I want people to like me, so I'm going to try and like other people. Or I want people to, uh, I want people to treat me well, so that's why I'm going to treat other people well. And it becomes your motivation. But Jesus doesn't say that either. Jesus doesn't say, treat other people like you would want to be treated in order that they would treat you that way. He doesn't say that. It's not do good to others so that they'll do good to you. Jesus never promises this. Jesus never promises us that the world is going to treat us well. This is not a kind of formula for what you put in is what you're going to get out. It's not Christian karma. And just because you treat people well and are kind and generous and loving, and I can testify to this, does not mean that people are going to do the same to you in return. In fact, for Christians, so often it's the opposite. You probably know that. You've probably experienced that. I'm, Lord, I've been, I've, been, I've been doing my business well. I've been treating people fairly. I've been a kind neighbor, but I'm just getting nothing but flack in return. Why is that the way the Christian life is? I mean, look at Jesus, right? The perfect example. Love people completely and utterly, was kind to people always, lived the, kingdom, uh, lived the kingdom values every day, day after day after day, and what happened to him? He died. They killed him for it. They killed him. So what is our motivation? If our motivation isn't to get stuff in return, then what is our motivation? Well, look back, keep your Bible open, uh, look back 12, and there's a tiny word there at the start, and, and we re we're reading ESV, and it'll say, so, maybe in your translation it says, therefore, so, therefore, in other words, be, what I'm about to say is because of what has come before. In other words, there's something that has come before in the passage that this piece of advice, this rule of life depends on, right? 
And so I think there's maybe three possibilities. Firstly, maybe Jesus is linking it to what we saw last week in verses 7 to 11. Well, you know, ask God, seek God. God's a good father. He's going to provide for you. So we should do the same in return. And I think that's, that makes sense. That's a possibility. The second possibility is maybe we go back slightly further. And it's linked with verses 1 to 6 of chapter 7. Don't judge. Because certainly that, the, that way of thinking would help us to not judge other people. But I think that it may be linked to all that Jesus has taught up to this point. I think this is the most reasonable and best way to receive this. And here's why. I mean, a wee tip whenever you're reading the Bible, if you come up, with a, up against a question like that, often the answer is, is in the, the, the verses and words immediately around it. You just keep, want to keep reading and pray and ask God to reveal it to you. And so that's what we do. Why did Jesus say so? Why did he say therefore? Well, look at the end of verse 12. He says, for this is the law and the prophets. Where have we heard that before? Where have we heard Jesus talking about the law and the prophets before? Right? Way back at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Way back near the beginning when he entered into this main section of the sermon about greater righteousness. He says, Matthew 5, 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the, or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so when Jesus says, uh, Whatever you wish other pe- people would do to you, do to them. He's referring to, to his whole teaching on the bookends, the, the main uh, part of his sermon, by talking about the law and the prophets. And that maybe doesn't make much sense to you, but think about it this way. Jesus didn't have an Old and New Testament, right? For him, he just had the, the law and the prophets. The, the Testament, I guess. I don't know if they called it. The, maybe, it was the, maybe that was the New Testament back then. It's still very new. He just had the, the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill everything that has come before. God has been writing this story, and I'm the one that fulfills that. And now he's saying, live with this greater righteousness, and you can join me in fulfilling that. Jesus came to fulfill all the Old Testament, all the laws, and now he's calling us, his disciples, to do the same. Uh, later on in his ministry, in Matthew 22, somebody, uh, one of the Sadducees asked Jesus, um, uh, which is the greatest commandment, right? They're trying to trick him out. And he says this, he said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets. In other words, all of the law and prophets are summed up in love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And what does he say? A second like this. So like loving God in that way is loving your neighbor as yourself. And you know what this means, right? This means that from the beginning of the world, God has been working out his plan for the world. And that plan is fulfilled in Jesus. And now as followers of Jesus, we play our part in God's plan for the world. Isn't that amazing? This plan, and we know what the plan is, right? Habakkuk 2, 14 tells us that that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's what God is about. That his glory would fill the whole earth. That's what God is about. And he does that by restoring things to the way they're meant to be, the way he he created them to be. So he gives us the Sermon on the Mount to show us what life is like when, when, when the glory of the Lord does cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And so when we live according to the Sermon on the Mount, in the power of the Holy Spirit, with Jesus uh, transforming our hearts, and we treat, it's not just for the sake of being kind, right? It's not just to be a nice guy. It's certainly not so people will like us. It's because you and me, we, church, 
have a part to play in God making things right again. This is what Finley, Finley's five, and this is what his Bible says. Like his Jesus storybook Bible says that God is making things right again. I couldn't put it any better. It's about, return the, about God returning the world to the way he intended it to be. It's about reconciling all things to Jesus so that Jesus can rule and reign over a world that declares him to be king of kings and lord of lords. And you have a part to play in that. Now listen, I know that maybe you don't feel that way. Maybe, maybe you feel like you don't have much to offer. Maybe you're full of self-doubt. Maybe you feel like you let God down all the time. Maybe you don't like yourself very much. Maybe you feel unqualified, unimportant. I can't speak to that person. I don't know how to share the gospel. I don't have the right words. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to do all these things. I, I'm not up for this task. Well, I'm not here to give you a, a coaching session because the truth is you're not. But the even better truth is that this is exactly the kind of person that God uses to build his kingdom with. The weak, the broken the people who are, are poor in spirit. We saw this last week. We saw this right at the beginning. Blessed. He, he starts his sermon by saying, which is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the people who just realize their need of God. These are the people that God builds his kingdom around. And if you're poor in spirit this morning, if you feel at the end of your teller, you feel like, oh, I can't, I can't do any more, then, then that's a really good place to be. It's the work of, the work of Jesus on the cross and the, and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. It's through that power that you're playing your part in God's plan for the world. And so this is why we obey Jesus' command. This is why we, we do this. Because we're living the kingdom of God here and now. See, for Jesus, obeying God uh, and being in the kingdom, it wasn't complicated. It's not about following all these rules and regulations. It's not meant to be a burden for us. It's simple. For Jesus, it's just live out this principle of love. It's that simple. Now, it's not easy I want to be clear about that. It's not easy, but it is simple. It's definitely not easy, and we're about to see that in a minute. Jesus actually says that the, 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 the way that leads to life is hard, but it is simple. It's about knowing the grace of God working so powerfully in your heart that you're freed from, from your own uh, self-righteousness. You don't have to serve yourself anymore. You see, the, the golden rule we're calling it the golden rule. It's not a standard of moral perfection. It's a, this is not something we attain in our own efforts and then suddenly God thinks we're worthy. No. This is the way we live whenever God sees us in our unworthy state and, and through the blood of Jesus makes us worthy. It's about knowing that through Jesus you've received grace upon grace upon grace. And through the power of his Holy Spirit, you go out into the world and there's no limit to the grace upon grace that you show to other people. It's simple, but it's not easy. And this brings us to the contrast. Um, Jesus uses these series of contrasts at the end of a sermon to, to highlight uh, a calling that he has for the, his disciples' life, right? So um, we're going to look at these contrasts uh, over the next few weeks, but today we're going to look at the first one. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, uh, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is action. And those who enter it by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I've just lost my place in my notes here. Bear with me. This is a problem with using an iPad and not paper. 
Uh, Jesus gives us these contrasts. He gives a contrast between two gates, two roads, two crowds, and two destinations. That's what he's saying. He tells us of a narrow gate, doesn't he? He says, um, this is the way that we should choose. Don't choose the wide gate. Now, what's he talking about? Well, in those days, Jerusalem was a walled city, and most cities were walled cities, right? So all the dairy people are like, you, walled city, uh, whatever, get over it. Um, but, you had, but you had walls around your city, and that would protect the city, right? So it would stop uh, invaders coming in and all that kind of stuff. And there was a big wide gate, massive wide gate, that, that chariots could go in during the day. That gate was open during the day, and the chariots could go through. People could come in and out. Uh, traders could go in and out and all that kind of stuff. Lots of people could bring all their stuff and go through it all together at the same time. But at nighttime, beside that, when that gate was closed, there was the narrow gate. And the narrow gate was no more than a door. It was a tiny door in the wall. And you could only go through it one at a time. And it was so small that you couldn't take anything with you. You just had to go as you are. That's the thing about the narrow gate. You can't take anything with you. And Jesus uses this image of these two gates to illustrate that there are two ways to live the Sermon on the Mount. There are two ways to live out all that he's been teaching us. There are two paths that you can go down with all this stuff. Jesus sent his disciples, he's saying, guys, you, you, you've sat with me all afternoon, or whatever it was, and you've heard me teaching about the kingdom of God, everything I've taught all up to this point, and now I'm coming to the end, and you have to decide, how are you going to apply this to your life? How are you going to live this? What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with what I'm telling you? What are you going to do with the kingdom? There are these two ways that you can choose from, and the call is the same for us this morning. Do you, te- do you accept this and think, well, that's kind of nice? Or do you let it change your life? I think that uh, maybe if you're like me, you grew up um, and you, you, uh, you heard about the broad and narrow gate and you had a certain understanding of what that was. So my granny had a, a picture on the wall. I don't know if this is relevant to anyone except me, uh, but maybe it is. I'll tell you, I should have had it on the screen, but... It was a picture called the two, the two Roads or something like that. And it had the gates at the bottom and uh, uh, there was a wide gate and a narrow gate. And they were, then beyond the gate, there were two paths going up. And one path led to heaven and one path, path led to hell. And one was narrow and everyone looked really sad and miserable on that path. And then the other people on the wide path, they were the ones who were having all the fun. They were having parties and they were actually smiling. No one on the narrow path was smiling. Um, and, and maybe that's the view of the two paths that you have. Something like that. So we go, well, the wide gate and the wide road, well, that's, that's for the sinners, isn't it? That's the sinners. That's the pagans. That's, that's the people, uh, that's the people that, 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 that do all the bad things. And the narrow gate, oh, yeah, well, that's for me. Like, I'm on the straight and narrow, right? I mean, that's for the, us good living folk. Well, us good Christian people, we're on the narrow road. We go to church. But if we take what Jesus is saying in the context of his whole sermon, right, uh, we're going to see that the, the, wide, the wide road is actually the road of the religious, the, the road of the self-righteous. The road of the good living people that have it all together, that rely on their own, uh, their own efforts to be good Christians and to be religious. That's who he's talking about. The wide road is, is, the, is the road of the people who think they deserve God's favor because they're living in such great lives. And the narrow way is the way of those who come to the gate with nothing in their hands. Absolutely nothing. See, we, 
We enter the narrow gate when we realize we have nothing to offer. Absolutely nothing. We, I mean, uh, Tim and Leanne will tell you this. Uh, going back, way back to the very start of Village uh, and Village East, our, 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 the church we came out of, and, and on our first Sunday in here, we said it again, is like, that's all we have. But in offering you that, we offer you absolutely everything. And this is how we enter into the, the, the narrow gate. This is how we enter into the kingdom. We have to leave all our belongings behind. You can't bring your, your truckload of stuff with you. You can't bring your self-righteousness. You can't bring your good behavior. You can't bring your self-confidence. You can't bring your, your religiosity. You can't bring any of that. It doesn't matter how good you are. You can't bring any of that. Your church attendance. We enter the narrow gate when we just simply rely on the grace of Jesus. Nothing, Lord, I got nothing to offer here. I just need your grace, nothing more. Isn't it interesting that, that, that most people think that if we get it the wrong way around, right? So we think that life is a journey and someday we'll get to a gate. And our hope is that if we do well, if we're nice to people, maybe we live the golden rule, maybe we don't judge people, maybe we love our neighbors as ourselves, when we do some, obey some of these things, and our hope is that we get to the gate and someday we'll say, God, look at all the good stuff I've done. Can I come in, please? That's generally how people think about this stuff, isn't it? But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't end with the gate. Jesus starts with the gate. Jesus calls us to lay everything down now. And enter the narrow gate. And then after you've entered the narrow gate, leaving all your self-belief and self-righteousness and, and efforts and good works and whatever it is that you carry with you, leave it all down and enter into this narrow path that's hard and that's the Christian life. That's what we saw on our very first Sunday ever in the Sermon on the Mount, right? We saw just before he begins the this, this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going around the area. And what's he doing? He's healing the sick. And he's preaching this thing called the gospel of the kingdom. And he's saying, repent, for the kingdom is near. But we don't want to repent. I don't, I don't even want to admit that I've done wrong. Never mind that I have to somehow leave that all behind and change my ways. Not rely on my, my self-righteousness. We don't want to repent. We don't want to lay down our self-righteousness. We think that we're not that bad. We think, well, you know, I, I, I've got it pretty well sorted, right? I'm a pastor of a church. I must be doing something, right? Right, God? No. Lay it all down. We've got nothing. See, it's easy to walk through the wide gate. You can walk through it and you can bring whatever you want with it, right? You can bring your, you can bring your, your, your truckload of, of, of self-righteousness and going to church and praying for your neighbors and, and giving to the poor. And, and you can bring all of that stuff with you. You can, you, can, you can come through with as many people as you want to. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, that's the way that's going to lead you to destruction. That way is going to lead you to death. If you think that you can, if you think you can attain life that way, you're going to end up in eternal death. You're going to end up in destruction. This is what Jesus is warning us about. And we're so quick to say, well, it's those sinners that are on that. We, we need to get them onto our narrow way when often we don't even realize that we might be on the, the wide way ourselves. Like if I asked you to think of someone right now, um, who, who's that, who do you think is, is on the, the Broadway? Well, you'd probably come up with someone pretty immoral, maybe a drug dealer, maybe a murderer, something like that. But the truth is, it doesn't matter how good or bad you are morally. 
if you're relying on yourself to save you. It's a way to destruction. It's a way to death. It doesn't work like that because both those kinds of people have themselves at the center of their lives. And this isn't what the kingdom of God is like. All the way through the Sermon on the Mount, we've been seeing this week after week in every aspect of life that Jesus has been teaching about. He's been calling his listeners to reorder their lives, to say, Jesus, you're king of my life. You're Lord of lords, not me. You know what's best for me. We sung that in that song earlier. Like, I rely on your wisdom. I won't be overwhelmed because you are king. You know what tomorrow holds, not me. No matter how much goodness I muster up, it's not enough. And this is hard. That's why Jesus says in verse 13 that it's a hard road. Actually, uh, the, 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 the word in the Greek, that narrow, it means crushing. It means suffocating. Narrow isn't, it's, it's like when you have to, you, you ever um, uh, watch, uh, uh, any see those documentaries of people in caves and they have to go through the tiny squeeze through where you have to take off all your, your backpack or your oxygen tanks and squeeze through? Well, that's not for me. But here, it's hard. It's crushing. And we know it is because it's hard when we have to stop putting ourselves first. It's hard when we have to stop relying on ourselves. It's hard when we have to start putting other people first. It's hard when we have to say, actually, Lord, everything I have counts for nothing. That's hard. Jesus Jesus never promises us an easy ride through life, no matter what the prosperity preachers will tell you. They're wrong. But let me tell you this. When, you're, when Jesus is Lord of all in your life, that's the road that leads to life. And what a life. When you repent, lay down your self-righteousness and, and enter in through this narrow gate, I guarantee you, you'll be surprised by the joy of the gospel. There's people in this room who are going through situations that are too hard for me to even comprehend. But they're some of the most joyful people that I've ever met. People that I've ever met. You see, the the joy that comes in in the kingdom of God is deeper than than any joy that you can find in the world. The peace, you think that you're building security through working hard and and caring for, that that kind of security is temporary. But the peace and security that comes from from laying all that down and entering the narrow path and walking the the narrow gate and walking the narrow path, that's real peace. Peace that lasts. Peace that's built on Jesus. Peace that is written for all eternity. And this is what Jesus is calling us to this morning. This is our calling. He's calling us to give up all of our own efforts. To just, look, just trust only in the grace of Jesus. Stop trying so hard. See, the one thing I really don't want to happen, and the one thing that Jesus doesn't intend, is that we hear and study the Sermon on the Mount and then go, ah, well, this is about me trying to fix my life. I'm going to resolve to be a wee bit better here. That's not the point at all. We're not supposed to hear it that way. The point of the the golden rule, the point of the Sermon on the Mount isn't to give us some standard of moral perfection that we have to meet. The point of the the message of Jesus is to to never, is to, to take our eyes off ourselves and put our eyes on him. That's the gospel. That's the, that, that, the, the gospel on him. Fix your eyes on him. Jesus never tells us to, to keep focusing on ourselves. He tells us, put your eyes on me. Peter, come and walk on the water. Get out of the boat. Keep your eyes on me. And you can walk on the water. What are your eyes on? What are you fixing your eyes on? You're fixing your eyes on... Well, actually, my kids are really young, so I'm going to work hard and provide for them. And and that's kind of my focus right now. And that's really good. You should work hard and provide for your kids. 
If you're able to work, we've talked about this before, if you're able to go to work, go and work hard. But if that's the goal of your life, it's going to end. It's going to fade away. Jesus calls us to take our eyes off ourselves and place them on him. It's only in him that we find life. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. See, the Sermon on the Mount is a picture of what people look like when they've been transformed by the gospel. It's not about how you become a Christian. And if that's the way that you've heard me teach that, then I apologize. And you've heard me wrong. The Sermon on the Mount is not about what, how you become a Christian. The Sermon on the Mount is, is what your life looks like when you live in Jesus. When you've been raised from death to life. When you've been united with Christ. Look like. So the Sermon on the Mount is, is, a, is, a, is a calling to make Jesus the king of your life, right? It's, it's simple, but it's hard. It's narrow, but it's life-giving. See, sometimes we think that it's only like lost people that need the gospel. It's, oh, it's, only, it's only really sinners that need the gospel. But the truth is that we all need the gospel. Like we're saved by the grace of Jesus, but, but, but we also live by the grace of Jesus. It's the only way we can live. Tell me, how are you going to get through life? How are you going to walk this narrow path without relying daily on the grace of Jesus? When you get to the end of yourself, what are you going to say except, Jesus, I need your grace? So can I encourage you this morning? Maybe you need to take stock. Maybe you need to ask yourself, what path am I on? Do I just go to church because I think it somehow will make me a better person? Do you maybe need to recalibrate your life? Recalibrate your heart? Are you, are you trying to walk through life in your own efforts? Are you carrying burdens that you don't have to carry? Are you relying on your good works or your good reputation or your good living or your good intentions to get through because this isn't the way of the kingdom? This isn't the message of Jesus. Stop trying to do it all on your own. You stop trying to do it in your own strength. Will you put down your burdens and will you just come as you are and enter the, 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 the narrow gate? Will you just say, Jesus, all I need is your grace. Your grace is enough, more than I need. See, the, the way to life is narrow and, the, and, the, and is the narrow road. And the narrow road is for those who realize that they just need the grace of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of, uh, the kingdom of heaven. Um, last night, I just was listening to... Um, as I was looking over this stuff and thinking about it this morning, I don't even know why. Well, I guess the Holy Spirit brought it in my head, that, that old hymn, Rock of Ages. And um, this is what it says. One verse says this. It says, Nothing in my hand I bring, uh, simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless. Wash me, Savior, or I die. So will you trust in him this morning? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, right? Maybe, maybe you put your, your trust in him a long time ago, but, but maybe he's calling you to put your trust in him again today. Maybe you've been striving so hard in your own strength to, to get by on your own self-righteousness, and he's saying, put that down. Just come to me, and I will give you rest. Rely on my grace. And maybe you've never trusted him. Maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you've actually been trying to get through in your own efforts your whole life. The invitation is the same. Trust in Jesus. His, no matter what it is, trust me, his grace is enough. 
Trust the grace of Jesus. So no matter where you're at this morning, the calling of the Sermon on the Mount is the same for all of us. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Trust in his grace, not in your own efforts. And that's the way that's going to lead to life. Let me pray for us.